0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Luke 1, 57 to 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, when, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through their forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel.
1: Thanks, Lauren. Hi, how you doing? Good? We're good? Um, if you have your Bibles open, please keep them open. Um, we're in uh, Luke 1 today. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be focusing on verses 57 to 79, but we read those particular verses from 67 to 80 for some context. So uh, please bear with me. Merry Christmas. If you don't know me already, my name is Andrew Tran. I'm one of the elder candidates here. If it's your first time here, so glad you were here. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here on this this wonderful Christmas. Uh, I'll say Christmas Day. Christmas is like 12 days. I'll just move it three days earlier. It's fine. Um, if second time and third time, is also welcome to you too. If you're just joining us, we're in our second kind of Advent sermon in this Advent series called Prepare Him Room. And there's actually not a lot of time to prepare Him Room anymore. It's three days to go to Christmas. Uh, anyone still got Christmas shopping you do? Anyone? I haven't even started yet. I'm, I am am Man, I'm ready to wrestle people through Marion for the 36-hour like, shopping event, and I don't know if it's, that's just the car park, right? I don't know if it's just me because I'm a physio and I love pain, but maybe, maybe you don't share the same enthusiasm as I do. Um, it's not long now, Christmas is around the corner, we all, and I feel like at my workplace, I've been having the same Christmas conversation over and over and over again. What are you doing for Christmas? How's it Christmas already? The year goes by so so quickly, yeah, and it'll be around, it'll be around, next year we'll be here, right, just like that. And it's this routine conversation that I have at least four to five times a day. And this happens, and this has been the same for the last six to seven years of me practicing. And talking to different people at work and in life in general, I've found there are a few, a few categories of people. Uh, the first one is the busy Christmas person. The second one is like the, the nonchalant, indifferent, uh, yeah, Christmas, whatever. And then you've got your religious types. Um, there are more categories of people, but these are the kinds that I've, I've encountered. And, and this, the, the, Christmas, the busy Christmas person might be you, right? You might find, find Christmas is a, it's a great opportunity for family, for friends, for presents, for eating, for drinking, for enjoying ourselves, watching trash Christmas t- movies on Netflix, that kind of thing. But not saying that Christmas doesn't lend itself to that. I mean, we just spent five before this Advent series. We just spent five weeks uh, about common sense for the silly season. So if you'd like to get some advice on how to actually handle this, this Christmas uh, period, have a free, um, have a listen to that on the podcast. And the thing is, with, with, with I find that with the busy Christmas person, I, my question to you is like, when our minds are this consumed with Christmas, the Christmas things, do, do we have time to stop and think? What is it all about? Do we actually have time to think about what is Christmas all actually about? Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're more like the nonchalant, indifferent Christmas kind of person. You think Christmas is like Papa holidays, you beauty. It's, it's Jesus' birthday. Hell yeah. It's like the Queen's birthday, but better, right? But it comes around predictably every year, like Jacko was saying last week. Um, and therefore, you haven't really had the need to think about Christmas? Why does it exist and you don 't have to be a non Christian to think this Christians think this about, think this about Christmas as well. I remember as a teenage kid going to, to, going to, a, to church on Christmas day or Christmas Eve and be just going through the motions and really, my Christmas day would be spending I would spend that time playing video games i wouldn 't actually talk about Jesus at all or maybe you 're the seasoned Christian maybe you 're the seasoned Christian and you think Christmas is all about, this. we're celebrating Advent, it's the f- we're celebrating the first Advent of Jesus, and we recite this Christian cliche, cliche that Jesus is the reason for the season. We know that Jesus came for us, but what does that even mean? What does it mean that Jesus came for us? I know that we live busy lives, and, and if you're a Christian, this is something that you know in your head, you know this, it's, but we kind of just brush over it, right? Or for some of it, for, for some of us, maybe Jesus. We think this idea that Jesus came for me. We think it's all about me, which is kind of true. Jesus did come for you, absolutely. But is that all we should remember about Christmas? Is that all we should remember about Christmas? I'm not saying that Jesus didn't come for you. He absolutely did. Jesus Emmanuel means God with us, right? But I believe that the Christmas story. Has, is way more than just Jesus coming for you. If that's all we go away with today, I believe that God actually intends us to actually have a much more richly filled theology about trusting Him. That's what I think Christmas is about. And when you think about it, I can understand why we we, we struggle to generate meaning around Christmas, because when you think about Christmas, you think the nativity scene, you think a guiding star, angels, wise men, shepherds, animals, no room in the inn, manger, sable, Joseph, Jesus, Mary. If you read the Christmas story out of context, cool, a peasant girl gave birth to a kid in the Middle East. From that alone, many of us, it's hard to generate some sort of deeper meaning out of that, right? I don't blame you. But as we look at the narrative of Christmas in, in, in the context of the broad, the broad story of the Bible, I believe it, ha- it helps us see, not just see, but to awe at the beauty of what God has done in sending His Son, Jesus. And I believe that when we look at the Christmas narrative in, narrative in context of the entire Bible, that helps us prepare him room in our hearts to learn to trust him more, to love him more, and to enjoy him more. And in turn, that helps us want to share him more with others. Now, if you were listening to the, to the reading, you might be thinking, how does the prophecy of John the Baptist's dad tell us that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word that you've given us. As we look at your word tonight, Lord Father, uh, help, help us to see it with fresh eyes. Help us to understand the reality of who you are. May we bask in your glorious nature. May you stir your affections by your spirit this Christmas season and help us find our ultimate hope, not in things, not in laughter, not in celebration, but in you. As we look at you, change us, mould us, shape us to be more like you. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the main part of our text today, the, the, the Zechariah's prophecy, that's Luke 1, 67-79, um, as we read, the, this prophetic word that Zechariah gives is, um, is after John the, when John the Baptist was, was born, right? And the circumstances around the John the Baptist was similar to Jesus in the fact that it was miraculous. If you don't know, Zachariah was a priest, he was a pious religious guy, and then his wife Elizabeth was also barren, they were also old of age. Um, so it's pretty, pretty difficult to have a baby, right? And so one day, um, if, we, if, we go, if we rewind back to early in Luke 1, um, Zechariah is on temple duties and he's alone in the temple, he's lighting some incense up, and some, an angel appears out of nowhere. An angel appears don't know. And, and we think, there's this, this is common perception that angels are innocent, they're cute, they're fun, they're, they, they look nice. But actually, Scripture gives us a way more intimidating picture of what an angel looks like. And that's why every time an angel comes around, people are scared. They're scary-looking beings. You would have thought, like, okay, if an angel pops up, whatever, this is definitely at the normal. This is, this, this is this, this, something... If an angel pops up, you should probably think, hmm, there's something here that is out. This is, this is, this is very different. <laughs> I should probably pay attention to what this person is saying. And so the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah, you're going to have a son named John, and he is going to make ready for the, uh, for the Lord a people prepared, which is, by the way, a reference to Malachi, which Zechariah would have known because he was a priest, but he's in denial and so Gabriel, what does he do? He makes him mute and deaf because he doesn't believe him. But but and this brings us to our text today when Zechariah sees the birth of his son John. And he is then filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy because he now believes in God's promises. He's reminded of God's faithfulness to His promises, which is, brings us to our, our primary texts. These words were spoken by a Jewish priest over John the Baptist and were written down by Luke for us to grow in our confidence in God. And I believe that God wants us to use, uh, for us to use this passage today to see three things about Him. So if you're not taking three things, I think God wants, to see, uh, God wants us to look at His faithfulness. He wants us to look at His deliverance. And he wants us to look at his mercy. Faithfulness, deliverance, and mercy. Let's get into the text. eh? Verse 68 says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. It starts in verse 68 with praise. Praise. Praise to the Lord. Why? Is it because he had a son that was just born, miraculously? It seems like the obvious choice, but no. What's Zachariah talking about here? Zachariah is praising God because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And it's obviously talking about Jesus here. But if you look at the narrative, Jesus isn't even born yet. What is Zachariah praising God about if Jesus is not even around? He's talking about Jesus, but Jesus is not born yet. What, what's, that, what's up with that? I want to digress for a second. Um, two and a half years ago, I went to the USA, and I'm not really a traveling kind of guy. Um, I was looking at things to do in New York City, and I, I'd never seen anything like this before before. Um, I don't think any of my friends had done this. No one had ever seen like a late night show or an audience being being part of an audience. So I looked up. I quite like Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon I think is a funny guy, some people think he has a fake laugh but I quite like him. Um, I did some research and apparently you can actually go to these, you can actually go to these audience recordings, no, the, the live tapings of these, of these late night shows. And there was, the only way I found out about this was through, through some random TV po- for, like forum post and there were two ways. The first way is that you, uh, to apply, you have to apply online, right? And so. Um, when you apply online, you essentially get put into a lottery. But in with the lottery, you also have to give like, your eye details and like, what you look like and stuff and send a photo. So I don't actually know if they're just scouting for good-looking people for the, for the, uh, for, for the audience, but I'm looking at my face. I'm surprised I didn't get in. Like, it's come on, like, why? Um, so I went to the USA, and I didn't get a reply from that. But, the, but the, second way, the second way is that you can do this thing called a stand... You can wait in line for a standby ticket at 9 a.m., and um, like, I, like any sane person, like, uh, like so my trip at New, in New, to New York was about five weeks into my, into my trip, five out of six weeks. And um, like any sane person, the tickets open at nine, so I get there at 5.30 in the morning. And what happens, was there were 27 other people in front of me. Now, this TV post, random forum post that I read, said that you, if you wanted to get in line like you have to you should probably be at the at the, at the closest because they can give anywhere sometimes between sometimes it's 4 tickets sometimes it's 40 tickets right and i was like man i'm 27 that's the odds are in my favor and so what happens is that when you get uh, you can't leave the line you can't go take a bathroom break at all you have to be there and to make things worse it was raining at the time and so I'm waiting there three and a half hours. It's like, oh, my gosh, why am I doing this? And then it turns out when you get your standby ticket, they just take your number down and your details. And you have to come back at 3 p.m. So that's six hours later. So And I, if you can imagine, I've, I've flown over 30 hours to get to New York City. It's five banks been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. And if I didn't get in, uh, mate, this, was not good, this was not helping me with my anxiety, right? And so I come back at 3 p.m., and what happens is that um, they take in the first 17 people. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's a bummer, isn't it? But then they shoot off the last, uh, people after 30, no, after people after 29, and say, okay, the next, you between uh, 18 and, and 29, you come back in an hour, we'll see if we have seats for you. We'll see if we have seats. And so I'm, I'm sweating bullets right now. I'm walking around NBC. I'm walking around like Rockefeller Center. I saw Magnolia, the, Magnolia, the world-famous Magnolia Bakery. I couldn't go in because I thought if I ate something, I'd throw up. I don't want to throw up over Jeremy Fallon. So I didn't do it. And what happened was I came back, and I, can just, I remember feeling my heart racing like this. It, was like, feel, it felt like it was coming out of my chest. And I remember also thinking, man, what if this doesn't work? What if i just wasted my entire day waiting to see Jimmy Fallon? Well, I shouldn't have wasted those 30 minutes trying to find an umbrella this morning. <laughs> but I got in. <laughs> I got in. I didn't even see Jimmy Fallon yet. And when they told me I got in, I was like, just like, it was a bit more ecstatic than that. But I was quite, I was over the moon. And... To my surprise, it was Miley Cyrus. Was the, she took over the entire show. There were no other guests. So that was actually quite nice. And She's actually nicer than I thought she would be. But anyway. But this feeling of elation after waiting for so long, after all this that, after all this anxiety, this is what Zachariah felt, but on an exponentially higher level. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He was so thankful to God for his newborn child. Absolutely. But being a priest, he knew the scriptures. He knew the promises of God. And he experienced, that. he experienced God's faithfulness in his son and he knew he could trust God about the Messiah. Zachariah hadn't seen Jesus yet, but he knew God's faithfulness to his promises. Zachariah, like the rest of God's people, had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for the fulfillment of the promise. And God's people didn't just wait and rain or shine. If you know your Bible, God's people, they, they experienced the consequences of this sin through bad kings and rulers, they experienced civil war, they experienced invasions and exiles and God's judgment. And even though through his, God's crazy sovereignty he brings them back to the promised land, you can imagine over the next 400 years or so, they didn't hear from God at all. If you're an Israelite, you would think, man, Is God really going to do what he's going to do? Is he going to really use us? Is he going to really use us to bless the nations through the Messiah, through the house of David? Maybe God's sick of us. Maybe we've gone too far. God's people had reason to doubt God. They had reason to doubt God and reason that God would bow on them because they were so unfaithful. But as Zechariah experienced God's faithfulness with the birth of his son John, the Holy Spirit reminded him of God's promise of a saviour to his people. Honest truth, if you backstab me, I'm probably not going to be friendly with you. Maybe you're more holy than me, but think about this. God, simply because of who he is, purely because of who he is, because of his nature, He promised to be with his people in spite of his history with them. The text says he has come to be with his people and to what? To annihilate them? To use forced lightning on them and light up some fools? No, to redeem them. In verse 68, it says that the horn of salvation has been raised. This horn is a symbol of strength and power. And Zechariah was praising God because he knew that God was sending someone who was able to save them. Not just an angel, not just a prophet, but someone who could get the job done. And this horn of salvation was just not from anywhere. But was from the line of King David, just as God had promised And Zachariah Zachariah was on the precipice of this. He saw it all coming together. He saw Mary was pregnant with the Son of God, and he had now seen Elizabeth, his wife, give birth to John the Baptist. All of this was promised in the writings of the Old Testament, just as the prophets predicted. If you're a Jew, these promises were what you were waiting for. For Zechariah, he knew that he could trust God's faithfulness regarding the Messiah because he had evidence of his faithfulness, right? God had a track record. God had a perfect track record. And that's the same with us. God, we have God's perfect track record. And we can trust him because he is faithful. God promised in the first advent, that the first king, that the, in, in the first coming of King Jesus, that he would come as a baby in a manger, and he did. You can trust God at His word. You can trust God because He has shown Himself to be faithful. You can trust Him when He says, "You can." But God will never leave you or forsake you. You can trust God when He says He is your ever help, ever present help in time of need. You can trust Jesus because he, to be sufficient uh, for you in all your needs. You can trust God because He is faithful. He's the perfect author, no, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, and he will bring to completion the good work that is done in us. You can, you can trust God to do those things. God's faithfulness is staggering and gives us great hope. Like Zechariah, we have great reason to trust God. But we also also. We shouldn't forget this. We shouldn't. God's faithfulness is as equally terrifying as it is beautiful. God's faithfulness is equally terrifying as it is beautiful. And you know why? Because in the first coming, Jesus came as a baby. In, in the second coming, Jesus is coming as a king on a horse, with the sword coming out of his mouth, and a tattoo on his thigh saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. God promised that. God promised that. But he also, you know, also, he also promised that those who trust in Jesus, those who put their faith, their hope in him, will be delivered from the consequences of their rebellion and their sin. And that leads us to our second point in Zechariah's prophecy here about, about God's deliverance. Uh, We're going to read verses 71 to 75, but I'll read from 69 to give us some context. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now this part of the passage sounds a little bit political, right? If you have a listen, verses 71 says, Save from enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Rescue from the hands of our enemies. It certainly sounds political, right? In fact, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be mistaken, that's, that's what a lot of the contemporaries of Zechariah also thought at the time. They thought that the, rescue, the Savior rescuer would deliver them from their political enemy, Rome, and that the Messiah, the king that would come, would establish the Davidic kingdom on earth. And this was actually the same story with Jesus' own disciples. Even after Jesus had rose from the dead, They were like, Jesus is dead, let's get political. Boy, let's overthrow Rome, let's go, let's do it, man. But Jesus didn't come to liberate Israel from political tyranny and oppression. Jesus came to deliver his people from spiritual tyranny and oppression. Jesus came to deliver them from the bondage of sin where the wage of sin is death. But in verse 71, Zechariah prophesies that they were going to be saved chiefly by the deliverance of their sins. But it's not just the deliverance of the sins of Israel, but for anyone who trusts in him, anyone, Jew or Gentile. And we get a glimpse of this in verses 72 to 73. Zechariah mentions that the oath swore to our father Abraham, again, context matters, um, if you don't know about the oath of, that was given to Abraham, the, the, the Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis 12, God promises to bless the peoples of the earth through Abraham's family. Now, if you don't understand the significance of, of, of this, this covenant is huge. Huge. It forms the basis of who you are as a Jew. The Jews hung their identity on this, they hung onto this promise. And Jews today still hang on to that promise. But it becomes clear in Scripture that the blessing, the blessing that the, the Israelites, uh, uh, the blessing that, uh, through the Israelites that they were blessed the nations, that, that is actually the deliverance from sin and death. And that, being, uh, that deliverance being available for everyone. In Galatians 3 8, it says this Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you. Through the first advent, God brought about deliverance from sin and death, not just for the Jews, but for you and me. God fulfilled his, pro- his promise to Abraham made several thousand years before. Again, God is faithful. And God doesn't just deliver us and leave us there. But Zechariah goes on to prophesy in verse 74. He says this. He says, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear. I like the way the ESV translates it. It says this, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. Now, is this saying that God is saving us purely so we can serve him? It sounds like God has an ulterior motive, right? Put it this way. I'm not a huge reader. Back in my high school days, um, I remember being forced to read Harry Potter by my parents because that's what good Asian parents do. <laughs> um, I'm not, I, I don't really remember reading Harry Potter at all. But I remember seeing the movie, the, the, the Chamber of Secrets movie. And... Um, uh, there was one bit. Do you do you remember Dobby? We had the picture of Dobby. Yeah, Dobby here. I don't remember much about Dobby at all. All I remember is that he annoyed the crap out of me. <laughs> he was like in this particular scene. He's 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 giving he's, he's running his head against um, like walls and he's just not listening to Harry at all. And I remember Harry's just you could see Harry getting irate. And I was I felt what Harry was feeling. But I did some did some research. And as an adult now, I actually, unders- and having read a few things, um, I understand why Dobby was doing what he was doing. What he was doing, talking to Harry Potter, warning him about stuff, serving Harry Potter, being his friend, was out of gratitude when Harry killed Voldemort, um, house elves and all those kind of things were, uh, were liberated. And you see Dobby's attitude in his friendship and, uh, and um, alliance to, to Harry. And the aim of behind the deliverance of enemies is that so that God um, is so that God's people may serve Him without fear. God's uh, God has delivered His people in a way that should drive us to want to serve Him, right? And when we truly understand the significance of God's deliverance for us. When we understand how 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 impactful that is, we can't help but weep in thanksgiving and in service and in gratitude. Not so we try to pay back God. We can't pay back God. But when we understand the magnitude of what it costs to deliver us, we want to live for God. We can't help but live for God. And you live in a way that you live for God, and it says in 75, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. When we serve him in holiness, it shows that we belong to God. When we live in righteousness, it says that we live as as God's people should live. Our holiness and our righteousness are outworkings, they're evidences of God's deliverance on our lives. And Zechariah was prophesying that that this was the kind of deliverance that was coming, deliverance that was so significant that would make that anyone who received it would want to give their lives to the deliverer for all of their days. And Zechariah goes on to continue. He continues to prophesy in verse 76. It says this, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. We've seen Zechariah remind us so far of God's faithfulness and his deliverance, but these things are interlinked by our third point, God's Mercy. You see, God is faithful, but we discovered earlier that faithfulness is both beautiful and terrifying. Faithfulness is God saying He'll do something, and He actually does it. And for the Christian, God is our great deliverer, but that makes no sense if you don't understand His character. The first advent makes more sense when we understand God's mercy to us. Not just to us now, but to humanity across the ages. And for God's people, God's unthinkable, unfathomable mercy should be one of the most comforting and motivating attributes of God. In verses uh, 76 to 77, Zechariah prophesies over John that his job was to point people to the person and work of Jesus, that this Jesus that God had so mercifully gave to the world. It's a little side note here. For the Christian, notice here. Salvation, it absolutely it exists in Jesus, but even Jesus needed someone to tell the world about him. Jesus, even Jesus needed someone to tell the world about him, right? Verse 77. Um, John's task was to what give knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. John was to give the news that despite people's uh, sinfulness, their iniquity, their rebellion towards God that they uh, that God could save them. Why? Because God is good and God is unbelievably patient and because he's ridiculously faithful. God didn't abandon his promises to his people or to his people. And this applies to all of us now uh, that the Pope, the perfect holy just god got off his throne think about that and it didn't just come down to us just just merely associate with us he became like us as a baby so that he would grow up and fulfill the law by living the radically perfect life that we could never live and paid the price of our sin debt by giving his life in exchange, in ransom for ours, to satisfy the justice of God and give us perfect status with our Father. It costs God a lot to be merciful, but that's part of who he is. God is so tenderly merciful. When we think about what mercy is it is God's willingness to absorb offense and objection it's God's willingness to absorb defiance and disobedience to absorb rejection transgression to absorb sinful activity and passivity and just straight up evil but God does this why for the glory of his name because he can't help to do but help but do this because In his Trinitarian self is love. He is love. And under the filling of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah knows this. And it's compelled with the metaphor that he gives in verses 78 to 79. And it says this, By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zachariah is saying over John, his kid, there are people here that need to know about God's salvation. And these people won't go find Jesus. Heck, they can't find Jesus if they want to. But the good news is that Jesus, Jesus came from on high to find them sitting in their darkness in the shadow of death in their shame, and in their sin. And Jesus is the only one who is able to bring them out and live um, not just spiritually harmoniously with God, but to live life to the fullest with God, just as it was meant to be, to have eternal life in the, with unlimited joy as Jesus as our King. And that's true for us too as Christians. If you're a Christian... Someone came to you and talked to you about Jesus. They told you about Jesus. Jesus came for us. We didn't go to him. Jesus met us where we were. We were stuck in our shame. We were stuck in our sin. But because of his life, death, and resurrection, we are able to now walk in the way of peace. And all of this, all of this, is possible because of God's faithfulness, deliverance, and mercy, 2,000 years ago. Now you may be thinking, okay, Trent, I get it. I wanna to go to dinner, I'm really keen. I'm re- I want tacos now, right. let's wrap it up. What do we, what do, we do with all this? Oh, how does being reminded of God's faithfulness, deliverance and mercy help us this Christmas season? Now, there are lots of different applications here. Um, and sometimes, I actually don't wanna apply applica- I don't wanna give applications, and because it's, it's just too difficult. It's dif- there's different strokes for different folks, right? Uh, But ultimately, what I want you to take home from today, ultimately, I want the truth of God, His character, who He is. I want you to look at that. I want you to look at Him. I want you to bask in that. Contemplate that. Think about who He is. Read the Word. And let that change who you are. Look at His character. If you're wanting to be more specific, though, I want to leave you with some timely applications for this particular Christmas. Um, Firstly, this truth, his faithfulness, his deliverance, his mercy, those things compel us to trust God. And I know that in this particular season, it can be very painful for some of us. When we hear family and friends, uh, good times, all those kind of things. We, we, it's hard. I get that. May I encourage you to trust God to keep trusting Jesus because God can be trusted. He has a perfect track record. Trust that when He says He is good, that He actually really is good. I'm not just saying for those. Who, I'm not just saying that for those of us who are struggling. But for all of us as Christians, and God is good because we we know that in the giving of His Son, you cannot get any more than that. There There is no higher price than that. That is evidence of God's immeasurable goodness to us. He's kept His promises throughout time. And if you are a Christian, He will continue to hold you in His grip. Trust His Word. Trust Him in prayer. Not just petition in terms of asking for things, but for uh, trust Him in the prayers of your blessing and adoration of Him. God is faithful. He listens to our prayers. He hears your cries. He knows your pains. Trust that the Holy Spirit will give you comfort and help when you need. And trust that God is enough. Not as some sort of abstract reality but something that that transcends our mind and our hearts. If you're a non-Christian, I ask you, I urge you, I urge you, put your trust in Jesus today. Right? God has been working out his great plan of salvation and redemption. And he's beckoning you, calling you to be a part of that. To know your creator, to know your redeemer. And if you might be thinking like, I don't know about this Christianity thing, man. Well, and my life is pretty great. Put it this way. If you accept Jesus, you can die tomorrow with absolutely nothing and still call that gain. Secondly, um, deliverance, faithfulness, and um, mercy, they inspire us to share God I hope and pray that this particular Christmas season, that deliverance and mercy, uh, these things, they stir our affections for Him. And I want you to go home tonight on your way home in in the car or when you're lying in bed. I hope and pray that you are moved so much by the love of God for all His creation that you can't help but want to share that. That you can't help but want to share that. I hope and pray that as you lie there in bed tonight, that people will flash up in your mind and your heart will break for them because you know the gospel, but they don't. I ask that you, you bask in not just God's faithfulness, deliverance and mercy, but also just dwell on the totality of who God is. Not just focus on your favourite parts of Him, but even some of the parts that you aren't very familiar with. Meditate, contemplate, celebrate Him with others, not just in your words that you say to people, but in in your deeds as well. And lastly, um, uh, the gospel drives us to walk with others, especially the broken. Jesus is the light of the world, and that light lives in each one of each and one of us, each and every one of us. Um, So when we go into dark places, when we walk with those stuck in darkness, in the shadow of death, that is a gift of mercy. I encourage you, we all know broken people. We all know broken people, disenfranchised, family, um, outcasts, that awkward colleague at work, people who are lonely, depressed, vulnerable, maybe even people in your discipleship group. I want you to be sensitive to their needs. Be a presence. Show them gospel filled love and hospitality. And especially if you know someone who's been affected by the recent bushfires, spend time with them. Sacrifice your money and your time for the good of others. Love them well because we've been loved so well ourselves. Like Jesus, we go to share his love and his mercy. We're going to pray together and um, thank God for his deliverance, his faithfulness, and his mercy. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, your son. Help us to uh, be enamored by the, the totality of your gospel, that you didn't just come to save us, but you came to redeem the world. Help us hold um, a, a, a deeper understanding of who you are. Help us to treasure you in our hearts as king and as the most priceless um, thing, that we ha- uh, thing that we know. Help us to see you for who you are, all that you are. We praise you for your glorious character. You alone are worthy of praise and adoration. I pray also, Lord Father, for those um, who are in need this Christmas season, that you comfort them, that you provide for them, especially those affected by the bushfires here. Help us grieve with them. May that not just be a platitude that we say, but actually help us reflect that in our actions. May we be your hands and your feet, your body to this world. Spirit, use us this Christmas season. Help us to share the hope that we have in word and indeed to every any and everyone that we come across, we thank you for Jesus and all that He has to us is to us. And we pray these things in Jesus mighty name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.